0: Once again, we celebrate Conservative Black History Month today on The Grid. The Grid. A digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. America First Insurance Group. Insuring your life, protecting your liberty. It's so important for our audience to know that there's an insurance group out there that is working in such a way that any profits that they might donate are not going to go to liberal causes. America First Insurance Group. We have contact information in the show notes. So if you want to quote, check out our show notes. Welcome to this week's News in Review. Did you know last week that every Republican senator and West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin introduced legislation that they hope is going to actually terminate a new Department of Labor rule? This rule allows retirement plan managers to factor environment, social, and governance—that's right, ESG—issues into their investment decisions. Well, the problem is that politicizes the retirement savings for 152 million Americans. What that means is is that the person who manages your retirement at work could literally say, even though this fund returns 10% a year, we're not going to use it because they're not an ESG-friendly company or set of funds. We're going to focus on the one. It only produces 6% return, but it meets our agenda. I think that's crazy. And Advancing American Freedom Executive Director Paul Teller wrote a letter saying he believes this is politically inappropriate. It is absolutely financially irresponsible. also saw this article that talked about America's unrecognizable state. Chris Rufo, who is a fellow, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, said, the America of the 1980s pretty much has vanished. We're now entering a period of unprecedented economic, social, and cultural change. Yeah, I think that's the understatement of the year. In fact, he goes on to say, We're in a very bizarre and unprecedented situation in our civilization, which is this. We are turning our own legacy and declaring it evil, oppressive, and without any redeeming characteristics. He said, There's some days that I wake up and read the news and look around me and say, I don't recognize this country anymore. Yeah, I know how you feel. Okay, and of course, we can't get this out of the news, the threat of China's spy flights. You think those are bad? It's actually worse than you think. The boldness of China flying their spy balloon in American airspace? Well, it should have resulted in very swift action, but the Biden administration gave the usual dose of confusion, delayed action, and weakness. That is exactly the wrong message to send China, who thought it could fly their surveillance balloon to test our resolve. None of this is good for America now or even in the future. And I personally, Beijing would not have taken such a provocative action if it thought there were actually going to be consequences or risks to doing so. But we know that's not the case. China really wants to claim what it sees as their fundamental rightful place as the world leader. They're working to modernize their nuclear arsenal, develop and deploy next generation weapons. They want to grow and expand their navy and secure bases around the world. Folks, the risks in conflict with Beijing are real? And rather than reduce the risk from a position of strength, this White House has shown weakness by only acting belatedly, or in some cases not even acting at all. And now there are reports that at least two more, maybe even three, unidentified objects have been shot down, potentially from China. The boldness of China is not unexpected if the fear is not there. Come on, Biden. Okay, on some news that actually gets me to stand up and clap my hands, Oklahoma GOP Governor Kevin Stitt is calling on lawmakers in his state to deliver a bill to his desk that bans all gender transition surgeries for minors. As he said, we must protect our most vulnerable, our children, explaining that minors can't vote, they can't purchase alcohol, and they can't purchase cigarettes as a minor. Folks, finally someone is getting this right. Did you know that the prefrontal cortex in the brain is not fully developed in most kids until the age of 25? Do you want to know what the functions of this part of the brain are? How about reasoning, predicting consequences to actions, problem-solving, comprehension, impulse control, creativity, and perseverance? How about instead of making life-altering surgeries available for 10-year-old kids, perhaps we should move the voting age to 25? I'm just saying. Also, I'm not going to spend too much time on all the faux pas and the slips and the misinformation from Biden at the State of Disunion Address. But I did want to comment on what he said about creating 12 million jobs, because boy, he really was proud of that. Well, according to his own Bureau of Labor Statistics, the actual number is 2.7 million. The other 9.3 million jobs were lost during COVID because of the massive Democrat lockdowns, and they're just now being backfilled. I don't call that job creation, I call that getting us back to the baseline. Okay, and this is in disturbing religious freedom news. The Church of England said Wednesday, that it would reconsider the traditional use of masculine pronouns to describe God. They were floating general neutral alternatives to He and our Father. In fact, two days after gathering in London for the latest general meeting, the church revealed that it plans to launch a commission this spring tasked with investigating the use of gender language in prayers, baptisms, and general usage. They go on to say, Christians have recognized since ancient times that God is neither male nor female, the Church of England told the Washington Post. Yet the variety of ways of addressing and describing God found in scripture has not always been reflected in our worship. Don't think it's going to stop there, folks. That's only the beginning. Okay, the White House announced several new initiatives to tackle the issues of China, the open border, the fentanyl epidemic, and urban black-on-black crime. Oh, sorry, that's actually not what Biden's team has done. That was actually my wish list. Actually, the White House is going after a much more important existential threat. Wait for it. Here it comes. Washers and refrigerators. Yep, you heard that correctly. In 2022 alone, more than 110 actions have been made impacting appliances. They say that they use too much energy, so we've got to go after them with a vengeance. Now, you can charge your Tesla at home, and it uses about 353 kilowatt hours annually compared to your washing machine, which is about a third of that. So that makes sense. Let's kill the washing machine and tell everyone that they need to buy another electric vehicle that uses three times the energy. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Our last story today, AT&T is paying a heavy price for having DirecTV cancel Newsmax. AT&T owns about 70% of DirecTV. The stock has fallen 7% and costs nearly $10 billion in market value. And Newsmax is not the first that AT&T has actually deplatformed. One American News was deplatformed last year. Trump and many others are calling for Americans to dump at and ts services including DirecTV, cellular, internet and wireless services. Now, personally, I'm not sure where I fall on the cancel culture scale because I think this is a slippery slope and inherently it could be dangerous. On the other hand, by paying AT&T for services, you are funding an organization that is hellbent in destroying your liberty. In essence, you are providing the necessary money to promote tyranny. Folks, for this week's news and review, that's a wrap. Okay, the first individual I want to talk about today, I'm not actually going to tell you who it is, but I'm going to read to you some of this individual's quotes. So let's just start with some of them. Some of these are quote-unquote considered very controversial in the progressive community. So in the Coates was in regards to bathrooms for transgender people. And he said this, how about we have a transgender bathroom, he asked. It's not fair for them to make everybody else uncomfortable. He went on to say that everybody should have equal rights, but I'm not sure that anybody should have extra rights. Extra rights when it comes to redefining everything for everybody else and imposing your view on them. Love that quote. And how about the Declaration of Independence? He said, the current members of Congress have a combined 8,700 years of political experience. Are we sure that political experience is what we need in Congress? I love that. And he talked about the founding fathers. He says, what they had was a deep belief that freedom is a gift from God. And they had a determination to rise up against a tyrannical king. And they were willing to risk everything they had, even their lives, just to be free. He even commented on Nazi Germany and guns and really related it to gun control here in the United States. He said, I think the likelihood of Hitler being able to accomplish his goals would have been greatly diminished if the people had been armed. I'm telling you, there is a reason that these dictatorial people take the guns of the people first. I think that's absolutely true. And this comment actually followed Wolf Blitzer's reading of a passage from his book. His book is called *A More Perfect Union. What We the People Can Do to Reclaim Our Constitutional Liberties, and in that book he writes that German citizens were disarmed by their government in the late 1930s, and by the mid-1940s, Hitler's regime had mercilessly slaughtered 6 million Jews and numerous others whom they considered inferior. Through a combination of removing guns and then, of course, disseminating very deceitful propaganda, the Nazis were able to really carry out their evil intentions with almost no resistance at all. And he went on to say, there's a general pattern that you see when tyranny occurs. There are many countries where this has occurred, where they disarm the populace before they impose their tyrannical rule. He said this on MSNBC, Andrea Mitchell's reports. He said, that's not a rare situation. That's something that we don't want to ever even think about in our country. And that's one of the reasons that Daniel Webster said what he said. Daniel Webster, and I didn't know this until I read this, he said there will never be tyranny in the United States. Because the people are armed. Now, when you think about today and this attempt for gun control and to take away the arms of law abiding citizens, that should give you pause. That should make the hair stand up on the back of your necks. And he talked about this. He said, I grew up in the slums of Detroit. I saw plenty of gun violence as a child. Both of my cousins were killed on the streets. And as a doctor, I spent many a night pulling bullets out of bodies. He wrote, There is no doubt that the senseless violence is breathtaking. But I never saw a body with bullet holes that was more devastating than taking the right to arm ourselves away as a country. Serious people seek serious solutions, he added. And that's something that the left does not like to hear, because it is hard to say, because the left wants to focus on we must get rid of all gun violence, whereas a constitutionalist conservative would say, of course, we don't want people to be killed by guns. But there's a higher standard here. The right to bear arms is so fundamental to the foundation of freedom of our country that if we have some gun violence, we may have to live with that in order for that right to be exercised. This gentleman was also accused of being Uncle Tom, and I really love what he said here. He says, I'm not sure I agree that there isn't a fair amount of racism here in the country. He was saying this in response to a statement from Prager University that the U.S. is the least racist country on, on the planet in regards to some multiple races. And he, he said, Hey, I'm not sure I agree with that. He said, but the racism here is not where you would expect it to be, he continued. It is mostly with the progressive movement who will look at someone like me, and because of the color of my skin, they decide that there's a certain way that I'm supposed to think. And if they don't think that way, then I'm an Uncle Tom and they heap all kinds of hatred on me. That is racism. You know what's interesting, too, is uh, we'll probably do a podcast or a segment on Justice Clarence Thomas at some point. He talks about this very same thing where he saw the most racism come from the progressive left, and that he viewed it was because he would not act and think in the way that he was supposed to do so as a black man. And that's horrible. In regards to comments on slavery at the Voter Value Summit in October twenty thirteen, this individual remarked that Obamacare is really, I think, the worst thing that has happened in this nation since slavery. And in a way, it's a slavery because it's making all of us subservient to the government. It was never about health care It was only about control. And then he added, he's a couple more comments, but he added about, hey, you know, we're living in the Gestapo age. He said, I mean this very much like Nazi Germany, and I know you're not supposed to talk about Nazi Germany, but I really don't care about political correctness. You know, you had a government using its tools to intimidate a population, and now we live in a society where people are afraid to say what they actually believe, and it's because of the PC police. It's because of politicians. It's because of news. All of these things are combining to stifle people's conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, exactly who am I referring to? You might have guessed that this is actually the 2016 presidential candidate, Ben Carson, or should I say the presidential candidate for the GOP. He was seeking the Republican nominee. I think these comments demonstrate that this man was a principled conservative. But let's also just take a deeper dive into this life of this man and get to understand him a little more. He was actually born in 1951, and his father was both a World War II veteran as well as a Baptist minister. Now, it's interesting. This is the third black conservative we've mentioned on the grid this month, and all three had at least one family member somehow in the military or had served our country in some capacity. I think that's very interesting. At a young age, Carson's parents did split up. He was moved to Boston, and he lived there with extended family, eventually moved back to Detroit when he was 10 years old. And in high school, he did a whole lot of things, got in a whole lot of trouble. But he was notably part of the JROTC, where he also reached the highest award or rank level that you can get in the, in the junior ROTC. Between his junior and seniors in high school, he actually worked as a lab assistant at Wayne State University. So he was already thinking about healthcare. He also had a very, like I said, he had a very violent temper in high school. But one thing he mentioned is he began reading the book of Proverbs through that process. And because of that, as he started applying scripture to his life, he never had another violent temper outburst ever again. Well, after high school, his SAT score was in the top ten percent of the country. He was awarded a full ride to Yale, and he graduated in 1973 with a psychology degree. From there, he rolled in the University of Michigan Medical School, and he graduated there in 1977. And then was accepted to the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. In 1984, after graduating, he was appointed the director of pediatric neurosurgery there at Johns Hopkins. He figured in the revival of not sure I can say this correctly, hemispherectomy, a surgical procedure in which part of or all of a one hemisphere of the brain is removed to control severe pediatric epilepsy. He actually refined this procedure over time, and in the 1980s, he performed it many times. By 1987, Carson was the lead neurosurgeon of a 70-member surgical team that separated conjoined twins, and he had several of these that he did, conjoined twins that were actually joined by the head. And some were successes and were some failures. It was the binder surgery that really made Carson famous. Kind of served as a blueprint for similar twin separations. It was a procedure that was refined over several decades. After the surgery, there was a press conference that was covered worldwide. and It created a lot of name recognition for him. And it led to publishing deals and motivational speaking career. And eventually, in March of 2013, he actually announced that he would retire as a surgeon saying, I would much rather quit when I'm at the top of my game. Well, then a couple of years later, he ran for the GOP presidential nominee in 2016, which Trump ultimately won. Well, in March of that year, he suspended his campaign and announced that he would be a new national chairman of an organization called My Faith Votes. And it was a group that encourages Christians to exercise their civic duty to vote. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. So that's really cool to hear that he did that. He eventually threw his support behind Trump and ended up being awarded the position of Secretary of HUD, the House and Urban Development. His time as a secretary was marked by some controversy. Some saw the department that was not being run with vision, direction, efficiency. Others attacked him because he didn't fit the mold that black men of power and authority were supposed to follow. He was not a man that believed in victimhood or the nanny state. And a lot of career officials in HUD left after he was there. The article I read made that sound like a really bad thing, like he had bad leadership. But when I think of the the housing of urban development and I think of the mentality of that organization, I'm not sure that that actually was a bad thing. Like I said, he did not believe in victimhood, was not a believer in the nanny state. And honestly, why would he? He went from the slums of Detroit to Yale, to the University of Michigan, to John Hopkins, and became a world-famous neurosurgeon. If that isn't a story of perseverance and rags to riches, I don't know what is. Oh, and one part I forgot to mention, his mother was adamant more than once that they were not going to take government handouts. So he really doesn't fit the mold of, hey, the government is the one that lifted him out of poverty. That's why Ben Carson was attacked, and that's why I like him. He's a black conservative that shows the power of the human spirit when government gets out of the way not when they try to get involved. Or in this case, the government wasn't allowed to get in the way. So the second person I want to talk about founded an organization called Cure when we return.
1: I know, I know. You're busy doing life and being a responsible citizen. But we need you. America needs you. You have to get involved. Go to kingdompatriot.us and sign up for our free email alerts. That way we can keep you informed so you can inform others. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join the fight for faith and freedom.
0: So, the second person I want to talk about today is somebody that you likely have not heard much about, if at all. And her name is Star Parker. Now, I haven't kept up with her in a while, but I saw her at a voter value summit in Washington, D.C., somewhere in the early 2000s, I believe. And I was absolutely enamored by her speech, how she shared her story, her story of abortion her secular war view, and then her coming to faith in Christ, and that had changed her view and changed her view what abortion was doing to the black community. Star Parker is an American syndicated columnist. She eventually was a Republican politician, author, conservative political activist, and in 1995, she actually founded an organization called the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. It's commonly known as CURE, Center for Urban Renewal and Education. She also ran for Congress as a Republican nominee in California's 37th district in 2010. But let's dive a little bit more into her life itself. She was actually born in Moses Lakes, Washington, and she was actually raised in a home that was not full of faith. In fact, she got arrested one time in shoplating, and the high school guidance counselor told her not to worry about it. She was just a victim of racism. And, and that just blows me away, that these counselors are actually helping further racism. They're not helping these kids when they tell them their bad behavior is based on racism. Of course, I already mentioned that she, after high school, that she founded this organization called Cure in 1995. Some of the other activities she's done, she's been a syndicate columnist with the Creators News Syndicate. Her column is carried weekly by newspapers across the country. She Also, in 2017, after Trump was president, she joined the White House Center for Faith an opportunity, and it, it was an initiative's advisory team to share ideas on which policy could improve the nation's most distressed zip codes. This lady really knows what she's talking about because she's lived it, and we'll get into that in just a second. She actually supports cuts to welfare, claiming that welfare has actually become like a government plantation, and it creates a situation with those who accept the invitation to switch mindsets from, hey, how do I take care of myself to what do I have to do to stay on the plantation? She believes stable families and strong moral values are the key to ending poverty. Really? I haven't heard that before. She's asserted an absolute moral objection to abortions and claims that rampant abortion is hurting black families. Again, I totally agree with her. She opposes abortion, divorce, same-sex marriage, and she opposes using tax dollars to fund birth control. To really understand her beginnings, you also have to understand her childhood. And she actually shared her testimony to Assembly of Columbia International University students. And so I'm just gonna read some of that transcript. It's quite enlightening. At age twelve, she was involved in criminal activity, and by fourteen she was engaged in drug activity, and by sixteen, her sexual activity led her from abortion clinic to abortion clinic. In fact, it wasn't until after her fourth abortion that she said she had a gut instinct way down inside that there must be something wrong with killing your offspring. So that kind of began the dramatic testimony of the woman who was determined to help other women in similar life situations. So what happened was is after she had that conviction, with her fifth pregnancy, she was determined this time she was going to have the baby. But there's a caveat. She was going to work the welfare system that she knew so well. And this is in her words, I knew it very well because that's how I paid for all of my abortions. She said, I was one of those who was so lost, I would stay pregnant as long as I could, just so I could get that check on the 1st and the 15th. But her life took a dramatic shift. I mean, you can just really see the Lord's intervention when she applied for a job in an advertising agency, hoping to get money under the table and stay on welfare. So if you understand what she's saying here is I wanted to go to the job and, and be employed and get paid, but I wanted to be paid in cash so I could go back and report to the welfare agency that I didn't have a job and still get that check too. But the owners told her they did not operate that way and that she could not work there because her lifestyle was unacceptable. Well, you can imagine her response. Unacceptable? That's like a hate crime. You can't use that word in today's society. Nothing is unacceptable. Unacceptable to who? Parker argued. And then they told her it's unacceptable to God. And she thought, I got to get out of here. But while those ad agency owners did not hire her, they were persistent in contacting her and inviting her to church where she heard the gospel. And this is what she said. I heard he died for me. I got up out of my seat. I went down and I received the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to begin me on a path of journey anew, she said. And soon after, the pastor was preaching and he challenged everybody from the pulpit. He said, what are you doing on welfare? There were 4,000 people in that church today, but I sensed that God was speaking to me directly through Philippians 4.19, in which scripture says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Parker said that when she told her caseworker she was going off welfare, the caseworker cursed her and told her, you'll be back. Now you just think about that. This is the mentality that exists in these government programs. That caseworker should have been celebrating her persistence to try to take care of herself. Instead, even the caseworker wanted her on that assistance. Well, Parker used these personal encounters with God to challenge students to live life boldly in the power of Jesus Christ, not to be afraid telling them you have a key role. She encouraged them to get involved in pregnancy care centers as she's sharing with these students. She said, We are going to end and make unthinkable the slaughter of the innocent in the womb. Lives can change by us by being faithful to the gospel. She also encouraged the students to be soldiers that are steadfast, that are living out of scriptures. and She quoted to them from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and added that they should be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, that's just me giving a little bit, but I want you to hear some of her heart In our own words. Let's listen
1: welcome to care America I'm star Parker but it's good to be back it has been a long and interesting summer and I'm kind of glad it's over even though election season has kept me on the road on the radio and many other places to make sure uh, that the message of freedom stays in the public square and this election like many elections we say is the most important uh, but this one even the president of the country who is incoherent most of the time actually Actually got that messaging right about what the election is about and what's at stake he said it's about the soul of America and he said we're down to worldview and we are and now we have to decide are we going to be biblical and free or are we going to be secular and status and we see what happens when big government is out of control because we've experienced it for the last 18 months so now we're in a new day hopefully getting ready to taste freedom again by taking the keys away from those who have been Progressively changing our country into undefined. We don't know what we've been dealing with.
0: Every time I've heard Star Parker speak, I am moved, and this time is no different. Folks, there are thousands out there like Star Parker and Ben Carson, black conservatives who are full of faith and do not succumb to a victim mentality that the left so espouses. I love them because they both share two very different stories. Ben Carson is the story of God's favor and how a child can be taken from utter poverty and be elevated to a world-renowned surgeon, where he is saving lives. Star Parker's journey is a story of complete redemption, and through her own sin and then salvation, we see Jesus using her to save thousands of unborn lives as well, just in a different way than Carson. Both of these people—they're black, they're blessed and bought by the blood of Jesus. Let's celebrate biblical. Black History Today with Ben Carson and Star Parker. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Grid. And special thanks to our sponsor, America First Insurance Group. Be sure to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Kuhlman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot.